Hello everyone and welcome to Cain and Rince, Volume 7, Issue 315, and we will be covering Final Fantasy 3 in this issue. But before we launch into that game, play along with Cain and Rince. Upcoming shows include Soul Edge, Worms, The Stanley Parable, Resident Evil Code Veronica continuing our series of issues on that series of games, and Space Invaders. Please also go over to canandrince.com where you'll find loads of articles um, and our other podcast, Sound of Play, which is a podcast focused on the music we love from all the video games that we like to play. Um, You can also give something back to the show if you want. Head over to patreon.com slash canandrince. We're not asking for much and we're not going to keep any of the main issues of canandrince behind a paywall or anything like that. And of course, please subscribe, review and rate on any of your podcast apps that you love to use. It really helps us in the long run. And also follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So joining me, uh, Joshua Garrity in issue 315 are Leah Haydu. Hello. And John Salmon. Hello. Unfortunately, we've had uh, two dropouts in this uh, podcast. Um, Leon was scheduled to be the host, but I um, have taken his place uh, as there was some uh, scheduling conflict. Also, um, Andy Corrigan was advertised to uh, be on this show, but a mixture of last-minute schedule changes on my part and uh, time zones being what they are, uh, he was unable to make it. But I'm sure he will join us in future issues. We we have joked about this being the cursed show because I am also, as you will hear in my voice, pretty ill. So uh, this whole thing has just been been interesting to get together. So uh, that will make the final product all the more impressive. Yes, uh, getting this podcast together has been a trial, <laughs> much like the game itself. Um, so, okay, don't spoil it. Segue. Early, <laughs> yeah. So, um, Final Fantasy Three was developed by Square and published by Square. Later versions, the remake, um, published by Square Enix. The original was released on the Famicom in April 1990. Um, I I just want to credit uh, one of our forum contributors, um, Ash uh, Tear, who uh, actually highlighted some of the differences uh, between the Famicom and uh, remake version, um, as sadly, um, uh, most Western audiences won't be able to play the the original version as it was never localized and released over here. There are fan translations that you can find, but I think it's fair to say, and I'm pretty sure everyone on this panel has played the remake version that was released um, yeah. later on in the uh, early 2000s. So I just want to quickly highlight those differences. Some of this will make more sense as we go into the, the meat of the show, but it's worth highlighting now. So, uh, unlike the remake version that um, we all played, um, this first game 
all the characters were just generic unnamed warriors um, with very little backstory, um, much like the original uh, Final Fantasy. The job class changes required a resource called capacity points, which were earned during battle, which we uh, didn't encounter in our remake versions of the game. Um, it was the first game in the series with a dedicated uh, with dedicated battle commands for each class. Uh, such as Jump for the Dragoons. Uh, it's the first time the battle system moved attacks from dead uh, targets. So the original NES version of uh, Final Fantasy 1 and Final Fantasy 2, if you had targeted an enemy and that enemy had died, your attack would just uh, attack em an empty space. So this was the first game where it automatically targeted a new enemy if the, uh, the older one was uh, already dead. Um, this was the first appearance of damage and healing numbers on the battlefield itself. Uh, it was previously displayed in text box overlays in the original NES versions. So thank you very much, Ashtar, for highlighting those uh, those differences. So the remake, um, which is the version uh, we all played, the original version of that was released on the DS um, in Japan, August 2006, in the US, November 2006, and May 2007 for us EU members. The iOS version of that remake was released in March uh, 2011. The Android version was released in March 2012. And the PSP version, which is the version I played, was released in September 2012. There was a version for Ouya, remember that console, uh, uh, released in April 2013. And also there was a version released for Windows Phone, December 2013 and a PC version released in 2014. There was meant to be a Wonderswan color remake, but it was canceled due to a mixture of the storage space capacity of the cartridges not being able to hold a game with the amount of uh, stuff that was in Final Fantasy III, and also just a lack of manpower. Um, generally, the game reviewed, uh, this is the remake version of the game, reviewed fairly well. Um, the DS version had an average on Metacritic of 77, uh, which is, you know, that's still good. Um, the iOS version fared a bit better, um, that was 80, but the PC version, continuing the trend of uh, uh, poor Square Enix ports to PC, got a uh, 68 um, out of 100. Um, I, I imagine that the issues are much the same as many of the other ports uh, that we've seen. Uh, you know, mismatch menus and stuff like that. It's probably still a decent version of the game, but just not the ideal version. Seven of the out game. of ten, it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you suggesting that the PC port was originally the Android port that then got ported over to the PC as Square I'm, wanted I, to do? I'm sure they put more work into it than that. Really? Um, <laughs> no, what makes you so confident about that? <laughs> so this uh, the DS version was by far the best performing of all of these entries. Um, it sold about 1.93 million units. Um, the the I could couldn't get um, 
uh, accurate information on the uh, other versions of the uh, of the remake, but it's so. Uh, my understanding is it's so considerably less on other platforms. The the DS version was by far the most popular. That doesn't actually surprise me. I I would imagine that just from my personal experience, I know that it was kind of the one numbered Final Fantasy that you couldn't get your hands on in the West. Uh, for a very long time so when it finally did come in that DS version I think it probably got the added boost of a lot of people who were Final Fantasy fans going oh wow this is you know kind of the lost one and and just going for it even if they did not necessarily know a whole lot about the game itself and then by the time the other remakes kind of rolled around they knew that it was they knew what it was and the people who were going to get it for that reason probably already had might also tie into a fact which i'm not sure is a fact at all but in my mind this came out in the eu around the same time that the ds Lite got released because i picked them both up at a very similar time in fact it might have been 2007 that sounds about right i think it might have even come with my DS Lite, because I I bought this, so if we do our histories, I got this possibly with a DS Lite that came with, like, yeah, take two games off the shelves, and I couldn't find anything. I was like, oh, I don't really do JRPGs, but I'll get this, because maybe they didn't have much else. We're, we're, we're kind of going into this territory anyway, so let's uh, let's explore our histories with Final Fantasy III, starting with you, John, as you're kind of already <laughs> there. there. Uh, yeah, so I I can't remember for certain, but I know that I bought a DS Lite at about this time. It would have been about the time that the um, the release of this came out in the in the UK in sort of early to mid two thousand and seven. I I don't really know why I ended up getting this game. I suspect it was because I went into a game, or I think it was game where I bought my DS Lite from, and it was probably like buy the DS Lite, get one or two games off the shelves. And, you know, they're always like, oh, you can't have the Pokemon game. You can't have the Mario games. Like, pick pick two of the kind of, you know, less popular games. And I remember coming away with this, which, yeah, in retrospect seems strange that I would have picked it because at the, that point in time, I don't know that I'd have played any JRPGs um, and certainly had never played any Final Fantasy games in 2007. But I remember getting this and bringing it home and booting it up on my, I guess, brand new DS at the time and being absolutely like staggered at the quality of that opening cutscene that starts up with, especially with like the music and stuff in the background as well. I mean, I, I'd not had a, a DS or a PSP previously, but I don't think I was quite aware of how good these things could look and sound and that little cgi whatever sort of cartoony uh intro scene that's i mean it's kind of anime in a in a certain way but that that boots up uh when the game starts that really really kind of um yeah that that sort of wowed me a little bit in well i guess 11 years ago now uh, and i remember playing it a little bit i mean the only thing that i can remember is that I beat a big turtle. And in my head, you know, looking back 11 years, I'm thinking, yeah, this was probably, I probably played it for a good couple of hours and put it down. So when I started it up a few, I guess, six weeks ago or so, I was quite shocked to find that that turtle boss is 
probably 15 minutes at most into the game. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember anything beyond that, but I remember there being a big turtle. So I I probably didn't really give it much of a shot. I have absolutely no idea what happened to my my original copy of it. I suspect it might have got traded back in um, at some point when I was uh, sort of packing packing things up because it wasn't it wasn't very long after this. It was only about probably four months after I got this that I um, I moved from where I was living at the time uh, with my parents in the UK. I moved to Australia and lived in Australia for a number of years and I sort of had to ditch a whole load of um, excess things at the time. I, cer- I certainly had massive CD wallets. I had all of my all of my games and stuff in and left all the boxes in uh, in big crates that are sitting in my parents' garage and still to this day I think are in my parents' garage. So maybe maybe somewhere there. Um, but it's unlike any of the other games in this series. So I, I did actually have the history previous to playing it for the podcast. But then as it turns out, about probably four maybe five years ago now when I was playing um I was playing Final Fantasy 1 uh on my phone as as I talked about quite a lot back on that show and one of the days I was playing it I was at my friend Willie's house in um who lives in Glasgow some people may know him um and I remember he was a big Final Fantasy fan I'm sitting there playing Final Fantasy 1 on my phone and I think at that point you know, I was playing some of the um, the bonus dungeons that had like monsters from the later Final Fantasy games, and he was going, "Oh, what are you you fighting something called Shinryu? That's weird that you're fighting that in Final Fantasy One. That's like a Final Fantasy Four or Five monster." Um, and I was playing it and enjoying enjoying playing it at the time, and we were talking about Final Fantasy. And when I I left, I remember him saying, "You know, I've got this copy of Final Fantasy Three on the DS, which uh, it had belonged to his grandfather." who sadly at the time had fairly recently passed away. And, you know, he was quite a, from what I remember talking about with Willie, he was quite a big influence on on Willie and they played lots of games and stuff together. And I remember him saying to me, you know, take this take this copy of Final Fantasy 3, you know, you've enjoyed the first one. Hopefully you'll play it at some point because I don't know if he was planning to play it. And I kind of inherited this uh, this thing that used to belong to his granddad and, yeah, I've I've been slightly guilty sitting around for the last four or five years with this thing, thinking I really should play this. So I was quite glad to get the opportunity to do so over the last couple of months, to be honest. Leah, I was actually just looking um, at the release timeline <laughs> timeline of uh, the Final Fantasy games to see uh, what else, like where we would have been in the main series releases by the time this came out in the West. And it looks like in North America, uh, Final Fantasy twelve released two weeks before this remake. So I would have been really high on Final Fantasy at the time. Um, and I think that at that point I had at least played, if not finished, all of the other releases in the series up to that point. So getting my hands on the one that never actually was available readily in the West would have been really big for me. And I did pick it up at release uh, and I still have my, my launch copy uh, for the DS. Um, it's the one that I've played. I've never actually played any of the other versions. I think that I have a copy for the PSP or well, I guess it would be on my Vita, but I, I think that I have the PSP version. Um, I just kind of compile those things most of the time. Um, but yeah, I, I 
I've played it through, I guess, a total of twice, and um, I am not a huge fan. So I, we'll, we'll get into this as we get into what exactly the uh, the gameplay entails. But I am a huge fan of uh, games with job systems normally, um, and so I was looking forward to this one, um, but. It turns out there are some things, this being one of the earliest examples of job system games that I can think of, certainly, um, doesn't necessarily mean it's the first, but it's certainly an early one. Uh, there are some things that maybe hadn't been quite refined into what I like about them by the time that uh, that I decided that I liked these types of games. So um, I, it, 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 was not, it was not exactly what I had hoped it would be in filling in that gap in the Final Fantasy series, but I was glad to get it at the time. So I, I guess that's something anyway. So uh, my history's quite short, so that's good. Um, I wouldn't have played <laughs> this game if it wasn't for Kane and Rince. Um, uh, again, like the others, I, you know, I, I struggle with NES-era games at the best of times, but, um, you know, the job system was always something that, you know, I'd heard about, and one of the things that made this game stand out was, like, it was the first instance of that, and it's kind of an important part of the, in the series history because of that. Um, but yeah, I, I played and completed the uh, PSP version uh, on my PS Vita uh, for the show. Uh, and that was pretty difficult to get done, as we'll get into uh, later on. Um, before we kind of talk about systems and story and stuff like that, I think um, we should just like first impressions of the visual style and, and the art direction. Um, obviously, we've all played the remade version, so we're kind of talking about the uh, 3D uh, art design that was used for that. So um, we have... Uh, egg exited the uh, the retro visual styles of the first two for a brief uh, moment before we head over to Final Fantasy 4 in the the next Final Fantasy issue but um yeah what what do we what do we think of the the art style uh, that they selected for this remake I'm not a fan I I really with, with this kind of era of 3D graphics it it almost equates to or it, it brings to mind at least to me um, kind of early PlayStation 2, late PlayStation 1 graphics, um, where it's polygons, but it's not anything very sophisticated. It is very stylized, um, which is fine. I just, it, it kind of seems clunky and a little bit childish, like they were doing 3D just to prove that they could do 3D. I prefer in situations like that, I tend to like just having sprites more. I kind of wish that they had done a version of this with updated sprites, like the the PSP versions of Final Fantasy 1 and Final Fantasy 2, I thought looked pretty good because they, they stuck with the 2D art, but it was kind of updated and um, not exactly up but a, a lot of the assets were redone uh, in kind of a, uh, a nicer style. And it doesn't always work, but I, I just think that in general, I prefer really good sprite art to kind of clunky 3D art. Mm, I've, I have to agree with that. I think I said at the end of the um, 
the Final Fantasy II show that I'd really enjoyed the sprite art in mm-hmm. that and the remake of, well, that and one. And I was a bit trepidatious about going forwards because I'd already done a bit of a look into three and four and seen that the DS versions were drastically different looking. Um, as I previously said, I uh, was very impressed with the the graphical uh, style and the the sort of cutscene that plays when the game starts up and the two or three times mm-hmm. that you get art like that in in game I really liked it but I yeah. don't I don't like the character models looking like I mean in my mind they're these weird little sort of chibi figures I mean I've yeah. got nothing nothing really against the like the background I quite liked a lot of the enemy design but I didn't really like the humanoid characters I especially something that was a bit weird for me and I don't know how much this is potentially going to be jumping forwards but it's established fairly early into the game that these characters are are they kids like they're really young right they're no more than yeah yeah, maybe yeah. Like yeah I think they're supposed to be or like 18. teens yeah yeah young ad- very very young adults to o- older children yeah and they yeah. they certainly look like that and I can I can get that with Luneth and is it Ark? Ark, Ars, yeah. Ark. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I get that they're kids because they're clearly kids. Like the first time you see Ark, he's being like chased by a couple of other kids who one of them is clearly a very small kid. But then I don't really know like the the um, uh, Refia, the um, the female member of your party. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be like the blacksmith's apprentice. So I guess I can understand that she's quite young. But then the other guy starts off, he seems to be... Dingus. No, Ingus. Ingus, that's it. Sorry, I, I kept getting confused with the Ingus and Dingus. And yeah, that's not a great place to be in. But yeah, he starts off, he's like the guard at the castle, and he's supposedly got this thing going on with the princess. So I think you're supposed to be expecting that he might be a little bit older, but he's clearly not. I, I think that it's the ages of Final Fantasy characters are always a little bit weird to me because if you actually look at a lot of the kind of the background material or like the story stuff that they a lot of these characters are supposed to be like 17 18 years old and you look at them and it's kind of like it's kind of like where you're looking at a um like a high school tv drama where like these actors are 30 like they are not they are not in their teens at all and yet we're supposed to believe that they are so i i don't know i i don't know whether that is a cultural thing like whether that's a japanese thing or or not um it, it may not be at all but um i i think that that's that's kind of a JRPG thing. Either either they are, either these characters are going to be presented as very, very young uh, and kind of, um, you know, the little cheerful girl who always, you know, pops up and, and wants to cook people things. I don't, I don't know, you know, like the, the really cute kid or they're going to be presented as kind of an older person, but Either way, they're all like sixteen anyway. So you know, obviously, all the sixteen-year-olds are saving the world. I, I I don't know. It's 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 something that I have noticed before. But yeah, I I can see where there's a pretty big disparity between the main characters in this game, in particular. Yeah, I think f- for me, the the art doesn't really work for me. Um, I think part of it because like I actually prefer the the like I don't mind 
polygonal um, 3D art. I we- I weirdly find like the aesthetic of PlayStation One era. Uh, Final Fantasy is quite appealing. Uh, same with the Resident Evil series. Like, um, I, like I get that they're not very detailed, but there's something charming about uh, artists kind of dealing with limitations. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the key is that those games were designed to be three D. Yeah. Like everything about the way that you move through the environments, um, the way the battle system is set up. And, st- you know, like Final Fantasy VII had a really dynamic camera. Um, this game tries to do that a little bit, um, but mainly it's just kind of a static battle screen. And the dungeons aren't designed for it to be 3D either. It's just like a 2D dungeon translated to um, quite weak 3D art. Um, and and the character designs like there's nothing there that's you know there's nothing there that's icon you know iconic in the way squall or cloud or sephiroth are they they just kind of generic uh, anime boys and um uh, and the, and they're just and it doesn't help we'll get on to this but it doesn't help that the writing is not particularly memorable either um, so nothing really about this game aesthetically kind of stands out to me. I'd love to say that the enemy designs do, but really they're just kind of generic 3D monsters again, and I'm ultimately going to prefer the you know really detailed pixel art versions of them over the kind of you know boxy uh, 3D versions of them. So yeah generally i'm i'm not a fan of the uh, uh visual aesthetic at least i, I will say uh, one thing i did like about the designs of the character designs is uh, how much everything changes when you're flipping around the job systems and it's it's definitely yeah it's a regret yeah. that i have of the game that i didn't play more with the job systems and check out what each character looked like in each outfit because I only only really went through two or three with each character and the costumes are kind of the same but the characters wear them a bit differently and it was only when I got to the end of it and there's a certainly on the DS version I'm assuming on the uh, PSP version as well over the credits you see lots of little sort of clips of characters wearing the different job systems costume and in a couple of cases like sort of doing a move doing like the dragoon jump or something like that and i was kind of watching that going oh man raffia looks really really cool in like the ninja costume why didn't i go and try that out i think that's part of what i what i like about job system games in general um and also um spoilers for next uh next uh, volume of Kane and Rinse. I'm going to lobby super hard for 10 to get its own show. Um, but I, I, about Final Fantasy three, um, I, I wonder how much of the, the kind of nondescript nature of the characters is due to what Josh, you were saying earlier about how the original version was not, they weren't really characters at all. They were just kind of, um, generic characters as in final fantasy one they were just warriors i'm almost tempted to say like why not just stick with that like why kind of half-heartedly create these um i actually i don't want to imply that like they tried with the resources they had that's not fair but i i I think it, it would have almost been better if they were just blank slates that they were just a you know black mage white mage all of Mm -hmm. that stuff rather than these kind of poorly drawn caricatures that i i don't ultimately find very appealing 
also the uh, the strategy guide for Final Fantasy three, uh, the DS version at least, um, which I have from from when it was released because I purchased them together, um, has some really uh, cute art of like all of the you know most of it is taken up by descriptions of the jobs uh, as it, as it should be, and um, on each of the job pages there are kind of drawings of each of the characters in each of the outfits, and I thought that that was really neat um, because again it it is pretty cool to see the differences there because it could just be replacing one sprite with another sprite you know and they would all be exactly the same but giving them that little bit of character is is a nice touch i do think especially when there's so many different jobs as Mm -hmm. well yeah um i i will say that um so far anyway um this has been my favorite soundtrack of the games we've covered um in this series so far (laughs) i think the the music's really strong um overall i i think it this is when it's really starting to feel like a Nobuo Uematsu soundtrack for me, um, and I, I like unlike the um, so with the previous two with Final Fantasy one and two, it, it got to a point where yeah, some of this music's good, but um, I'm going to stick on a podcast now to uh, just get through. But there there are some sections of Final Fantasy three where I was really digging the music and uh, and and I I felt it kind of pushing me through the game so while i'm not a huge fan of the visual aesthetic of this game like i actually really quite like the the music in this game yeah i'd agree with that it's um it's got its place it's got the sort of bouncy bouncy melodies for the overworld and it's generally quite um sort of fantasy rpg like Uh, one thing that really stuck out to me was the uh, cutscene at the beginning that I keep drawing back to because I guess that had such a big impact on me. Um, I was listening to watching that earlier. It was playing in somebody's YouTube video that I was watching, and I was sitting there thinking, if I closed my eyes, this would be a Zelda soundtrack. Like this cadence of this music is exactly what you'd have in a in a Zelda game. So maybe that's why I liked it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I I enjoy the uh, the music in here. Um, it doesn't. I mean, you you get some of the um, kind of iconic tracks from the first couple of games, but this one I I think is more solid. It starts to get more solid overall. Like it it, it goes together better as just a full soundtrack as opposed to having you know two or three songs that really stick out. Um, I I think that it it kind of starts to be uh, kind of as Josh was saying a. a it, it starts to be what I would think of as a, a Nobuo Uematsu soundtrack. Okay, um, now I'm going to issue a spoiler warning for the story of Final Fantasy III. You have been warned. Um, but to kick us off, Colin Alonso says, I feel that Final Fantasy III, or at least the remade version of Final Fantasy III, provides more charm than the previous two games in the series. The overall plot is fairly simple, and the villains are pretty one-dimensional, but the interactions between characters and the game scenarios as the party travel from towns to dungeons are strong enough that I enjoyed the journey. I will mention one section of the game that surprised and impressed me. When the party leaves the floating continent for the first time, I was expecting to see an expanded world map. Instead, I was confronted with a dark abyss as time had been frozen to prevent the darkness swallowing the whole world. 
it was an unexpected dark turn in what had been a bit of a young adventurer's save the world romp. In fact, even when restoring the world, your temporary ally, Arya, sacrifices herself in a moment that wouldn't be out of place in the darker Final Fantasy 2. Um, thank you for that post. Um, I, I'm going to kick us off. I'm going to say that um, generally I actually felt like Final Fantasy 3 was a big step down in terms of story from Final Fantasy 2. Um, I I get that it was... Uh, I, I understand what Colin's saying in terms of the charm and the... Um, and the playfulness uh, versus the first two. But I, I struggle to kind of remember a lot of what happened in the story of Final Fantasy 3 because it felt so inconsequential compared to Final Fantasy 2. It really felt like, like even when the, you know, really dark stuff was happening, uh, like it felt like somebody was. Uh, minutes away from making a quip or some funny like old older men who think they're the warriors of light would turn up or something like that like i i just it it really felt like the story didn't have much in the way of weight what what did you guys think yeah to me i i think that the best way i can describe the way that i kind of saw the storyline of final fantasy 3 was that it felt like a bunch of little set pieces that all just kind of got glued together uh and some of the set pieces were interesting and some of them uh felt pretty well written and and they weren't bad it's just that they didn't necessarily flow together into anything that made a really coherent story to me. It all just kind of seemed like these are things that we want to happen in this game. So here's how they're going to go. Yeah, just just for the benefit of uh, anyone who hasn't played the game, I, I, and I'm I mean it's pretty simple to explain. Like the structure of Final Fantasy III, you're finding these four four crystals, and basically they're just the the overall plot of the game is just linked together by these short stories um and they're all kind of just they over in a flash like you meet new characters who uh, have their little drama and then it's over and then you find a new crystal and then it's on to the next short story and yeah, it just didn't work for me. Like it just felt like I like lots of small build-ups that didn't really lead anywhere and I wasn't really invested in the overall plot because I don't I just don't don't feel the game was invested in it. Yeah, I I'd, I'd agree with that as well. It it felt a bit um convoluted and and maybe flabby uh to me. I mean, I was I I mean, I kind of knew that it wasn't going to because I was you know, pre pre expecting that this is going to be sort of a thirty to forty hour game, but I wouldn't have been at all surprised when I first opened up the um, you get a, um, abilities that show all of the areas on the map. When I was first in that um, floating continent, looking at where everything was, I was like, ah, oh, that tower up there that looks really ominous on the on the top of the map there. That's going to be where the game finishes, and then um, you know that that'll be it. So I was quite surprised to find myself racing around. You basically do like a clockwise lap of the world, get round everything. And it's like, oh, no, hold on. There's there's like, I mean, maybe you're a third of the way through the game at that point when it opens up the bigger continent. But I was expecting that you'd have to go back in. And I never, ever once went back to the um, 
the village where you have to shrink yourself down, the gnome village. I never went back to see the Vikings again. There was almost no payoff and no sort of feeling of accomplishment when you um, defeat the wizard in the, the big tree and then the trees just like it goes and replants itself. It's like, no one's going to come back here for a thousand years. I'm like, oh, that's how it is. <laughs> we don't, don't get to then have a dungeon like in that area or you don't really, you know, the people that you free from that who then go back to the castle, you just talk to them and they've all got like one line of dialogue that says, yeah, thanks for that. Things don't change and, and they should. And even to the point where, uh, you know, I kept going back at the beginning of the game, the early areas where you've got like the um, uh, Refia's father and Luna's mother and the village elder and uh, Sid. It's like I kept wanting to go back and talk to them and get more dialogue. And they just said the same things over and over and over to the point where, you know, there's characters in that first village where you know, they're ghosts at the beginning who even you know, miles past into the game, you go back and talk to them. And there's some kid who says, like, oh, it's a shame I can't go and visit my grandma in the next village over because that big boulder's in the way. I'm like, man, I destroyed that boulder like an hour into the <laughs> game. What are you talking about? You know, write another line yeah. of dialogue. It's yeah. Just, yeah, it felt like there was no pathos to, to any of it. And it, it could have been that first floating continent. You could have gone around that and had more meaningful interactions with all of the people that they wrote into that. Because this... You know, there's a dozen little side stories going on there that then just, yeah, the dwarves and stuff, the the village of the ancient people, you just never see any of it again. It seems so pointless. It it just, like, you, you've highlighted exactly what I think the problem is. It just, it tries on these story elements and then casts them off like like they meant nothing. And and it's so weird to see because I felt like look I you know I don't think Final Fantasy two is any kind of storytelling masterclass it's it's pretty basic stuff but it kind of nails those dramatic beats like it knows um, how to build a character arc you know a very basic one but there's there are character arcs there and you do and there is some pathos there when character you know there are characters who pass. You know, pass away, and 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 that's you know, it it's not you know, it's not reducing me to tears, but it's something like there's something emotive there. Whereas here, it's just like you know, that like it it dabbles with being interesting, like the the civil war when you encounter that. That's like that's a cool scenario, but it's over before you know it. Like it, it's like you you get blown out of the sky and then oh civil war and then oh no it's over again. It's just it's it just doesn't feel like it wants to dig its dig its feet in and really like explore what it's touching upon. I, I feel like there's something similar with um, some of the actual gameplay elements too. Um, like John was mentioning the uh, the village where you have to shrink yourself down, which is kind of a cool mechanic. And that's, I mean, the, the mini spell that you use to do that is something that shows up in other Final Fantasy games, but very rarely do you actually have to use it as a method of traversal. And I think that that's kind of an example of something that just kind of gets thrown into the game. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think that you ever have to really use it again after that in that way like that could have been something that you yeah, introduced earlier and then used it to solve a puzzle later on and it just 
it doesn't really do that. It's the same kind of thing as the story does. Like it'll bring in elements and introduce them and they might be an interesting element or it might be something cool that you could do, but then it just kind of gets abandoned. It doesn't really get woven into the storyline like it could be. The the one moment that comes, and I feel like we we should just get story out of the way. I'm not going to save the ending for the end of the podcast, but like the, the one moment... Um, that I felt was, you know, slightly dark in a way that was interesting was the fact that the uh, the two sages at the end, mm. like they they had to die for you to go forward, and the fact that you know they they basically forced you to fight them uh, by turning into monsters, like that was a cool story beat. Yeah. And then they were, and then and then they're like, oh, don't worry, our souls will live on. And then later on, they have to sacrifice their souls to revive you because the uh, the darkness just killed, you know, killed all of you. So they then go one step further to sacrifice, you know, their chance at eternal life so that you can go on to defeat the darkness. That's a really dark concept that these two guys just like gave up everything not just like their lives but any hope of uh uh eternal life after that uh in order to save the day that was that stood out to me but that was kind of the one moment that really felt powerful i might be taking a bit of a wild leap here and potentially giving the game more credit than it's uh, it's worthy of but i'm assuming that uh neither of you guys really interacted very much with the um the side quests or the the moogle system i did some no, of I the didn't. side quest stuff but i did not get involved with the moogle net thing i and, and is that i think that's that must be a, a a new thing for the the remake i would assume yes yeah yes that's correct yeah i wanted to try and do as much as possible and i found that there was i don't know how much but there was a portion of things that were effectively blocked off because so the Moogle system is you sending messages to about six or seven characters from earlier in the game, and they write messages back to you. And they are some of the the key characters, like the the elder and the princess and the the prince who then becomes the king and the old men. I think they're referred to as the peanut gallery at one point, which stuck with me. You write these messages to them, and they write back. And supposedly they've got multiple things that they can write to you, and then that always leads to a, a decent side quest and various other things come out of it as well. But in the version that I played on the DS, it doesn't work because they shut the servers down for the Wi-Fi uh, portion of it. And it's in a really, in my mind, an odd and bad way to do single player content in basically if you want to do these letters to these characters, you can write one letter to each of them and they respond through the Moogle net immediately and they will write back, continue to write back and end up giving you side quests and all sorts of things come out of it. But to trigger anything more than the first one, you've got to use the Wi-Fi function to send messages to other real people through either friend codes or like nearby people. And then after you've done, I think you have to write seven messages to other people and then it like unlocks the next tier of conversations with the characters in the game. And because they've now shut down the Wi-Fi functions on the 
the DS version, as of I think it was 2014, it said in something I was reading about it, because I, I was getting very frustrated. Why am I sending all these messages and no one's writing back? I know they're supposed to continue writing back, but you've got to do it through the Wi-Fi feature or I guess you could have a second copy of the game and a second DS locally and, you know, do it with a friend or, you know, sort of do it back and forth with yourself if you've got two copies of it. But that is apparently now the only way of doing that on the DS version is to huh. do it locally. And it, it locks away a bunch of side quests. It locks away all of the ultimate weapons in the game, which I got all of my jobs to level 99, knowing that there was a blacksmith who apparently shows up and gives you the best piece of kit in the game, who doesn't come because it works through the MoogleNet thing as well. And it also locks away the Onion Knight job class, which is supposedly the best job class in the game. They're all now locked behind this Wi-Fi feature that doesn't work anymore, which is, it strikes me as being so strange to lock away single-player side quests behind a multiplayer functionality and then to turn that multiplayer function off. I, I felt quite quite disappointed and quite robbed by that, to be honest, especially after I did all the job stuff for hours trying to get these best weapons, finding out I couldn't once it had happened. I had no idea that's how that worked. Huh. Maybe that's better. Maybe when you do those letters, you know, four more letters to the Elder, and then he gives you a quest to go and rescue some people or something, maybe you get a bit more story from it that, you know, fleshes it out a bit more. I mean, I kind of doubt it, but maybe. We'll never know now. It might work yeah. on other versions. I don't know if the PSP what servers have been shut. I don't know if the, all the various Android and iPhone versions and stuff have that feature it might not work like that in those but it certainly doesn't work on the ds anymore it's a shame yeah it's a shame but um i mean i based on what's in the main game i can't imagine it it fleshes it out anymore um i i wanted i wanted to briefly touch on the characters just to give them some lip service so we've got lunif arc uh Rafia and Ingus. Again, I, I think I feel like we've already kind of covered these four that these are the four main characters in your party. I feel like we've kind of already covered these guys in the aesthetic section. Um they're just they're just kind of generic anime characters. And I, I'm really sad to say that because I want I you know, I want something to dig up my teeth into. But the, like Final Fantasy II kind of gave me something to work with, but I, I really don't I, like I didn't find any of these characters uh, interactions memorable for all the problems that i had with final fantasy 2 i thought that you know at least they did have some characters who you know you could you could really get something out of and i i i kind of i, I kind of have to say that this did not really do anything for me in that i i almost i almost think that it would have been better uh if we kind of mentioned this before, if they had just stuck with generic characters and, and not really tried to uh, make them into actual characters, capital C characters. Um, but I, I guess we'd have to find a, uh, a translation of it, or I would need to learn to speak much better Japanese. <laughs> One thing that kind of worked a little bit for them was when you had, at various points, another character in your party... Uh, you could press one of the buttons on the DS, which otherwise never did anything at all. And it sort of, if you're in the overworld or in a dungeon or something, you press one of the buttons and everything would stop and one of your party members would sort of step aside and talk to the extra character and you'd get a little bit more dialogue, maybe a little bit more 
sort of character building between those two characters. But it was quite a disappointment to me that you couldn't just do that at any point and get, say, Lunath and Ark, who've obviously got like a backstory, who never, ever talk about it with each other, never seem to share any dialogue. Like, why couldn't you press the button and have them just say like, oh, you know, what's what's been going on, Ark? I mean, now that you're a level 99 black mage, you're sure going to fire those bullies when we get back to her, aren't you? But no, nothing. No. And there are other characters that you meet along the way, but again, like we mentioned with the story, your interactions with them are so brief that it, they barely make an impact. Um, one, I mean, there's one group. There's the the false uh, the false warriors of light who are just uh, like four men with mustaches that were kind of memorable just because they're funny and silly, but. Um, like this, this Sid, this version of Sid, um, the character's design is a little bit charming, but like ultimately he's pretty forgettable, which is really sad to say because Sid is usually pretty memorable in Final Fantasy games. Um, I mean, can can any of you name a supporting cast member that kind of stood out for you? Not really, but what I will say is that. We, we didn't really mention how the support characters work, which is kind of a weird thing. Um, you have your uh, four party members that you are in direct control of uh, through the game, but periodically you will get um, a fifth party member who is one of these kind of support characters, and you don't control them. They just kind of pop in maybe once or twice a battle uh, and either cast a support spell or cast an attack spell or do an attack or do something, and you don't have any say over what they're going to do. They just kind of show up whenever they feel like it. It's very strange, I think. They all kind of have their place. Like they're all they're all people who are on their own own sort of missions. I quite liked. Um... Desh, the the guy who you meet very early on, you find him in a dragon's nest, and then he he's like this. Well, he's got the typical sort of amnesia of like I've got a pressing feeling that there's something that I need to do, but I don't know what it is. So I'm just going to hang out with you guys for a while and help you fight your battles, and eventually you'll get to a place, and my memory will be jogged, and then I'll do it. Yeah, um, there are other areas of the story that we could touch on, um, like the whole Warriors of Darkness and this being a cycle. So you're kind of bringing about the light after the darkness and it's very, you know, generic stuff. But I feel that this panel probably want to move on to what really is the meat of the game and the thing that, you know, the thing the game gets a lot of praise for. Um, is the the kind of the new leveling system and the job system? Um, so uh, briefly, like the the level the way leveling works is pretty similar to the first one. So we're 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 they they dropped the kind of leveling system of Final Fantasy two, where you're kind of leveling based on what skills you use and um, you know punching yourself in the face until your health increases, <laughs> defense increases, and it's gone more with a standard you if you're in battle you gain experience type thing. But the new thing that they added on top of this is the job system. Um, so I'm just going to read some forum posts um, to start us off with a discussion about the job system. Uh, again, Colin Alonso says, For me, the main draw uh, to play Final Fantasy III was the job system. 
due to my experience of it in subsequent air entries in the series. Although simpler than in those games, the ability for characters to change jobs during the game gives a lot of flexibility in battles. I always look forward to getting to the next crystal and discovering the next set of jobs. I would then use those until they reached the following crystal. Many jobs have unique abilities beyond stats, weapons and magic, which allows greater variation in playstyle. For example, there was a period of the game where I felt I was using battle tactics more akin to an MMORPG, as my Viking's provoke ability focused one enemy's attacks onto him, my bard could cast a protect spell on the whole party using his singer ability and the dark knight and the dragoon would deal damage while being well defended developing and utilizing strategies such as these for the different jobs made the random battles more interesting and gave them added variety rather than sticking with free attacking units and a healer for 30 hours um, and this post from uh, mh ninja bear um, I immediately decided upon the jobs they would have. Lunif was my monk, who would later become a black belt. Ark, my black mage, who would become a magus. Rifia, a white mage, into a devout. And Ingus, a red wizard, turned dragoon. I found the other jobs interesting, but being a nursing student, my time was short and I knew I wanted to max out their final job levels to 99, which surprisingly only took a few hours. This enabled them to be the great warriors the story taught them up to be. So the job system... For me, the, like this was the core appeal of the game. Um, I, I I really love this system. I think um, there the, there are other elements of this game that kind of let it down ultimately in the gameplay department. But playing around with this system, um, at the very least, was a lot of fun. Um, like uh, I, I don't think we have time in this podcast to go go over every single job, as I'm sure uh, no one on this panel had the time to uh, explore every job that uh, was in Final Fantasy III. Um, but I, I think it would be useful to highlight some favourites that are our go-to jobs um, that we uh, we use during the campaign. Um, John, what, mm. what were some favourites for you? I was looking forward to this job system. Like, I was under the impression that it was going to be very cool. So yeah, when I started off and I was getting like job levels, freelancer levels increasing as well, but I wasn't really entirely sure what was going on or what it exactly it was affecting but everything seemed to be leveling up and it was it was great then you you find your first set of real jobs and obviously at that point it's like well you definitely switch your freelancer into the other jobs because obviously the freelancers can't really do very much of anything um so i i just ended up making a fairly generic final fantasy party of i had i think luneth was a red mage at the beginning and then this, I mean, this may have been a mistake from the get-go because I did end up changing him eventually, but I set him as a red mage. Ark ended up being a black mage. Refia ended up being a white mage. And Ingus was a monk because I think at that point you've only got maybe six to choose from. I think you've got a knight or a warrior or something as well. 
and that's maybe it at that point so it's not a huge amount of choice but i like the idea of having you know two characters who could both do healing and also two characters who could both do sort of spell damage at the same time so i i stuck them all onto those jobs and i got a very very decent way into the game with them in those jobs and i kept noticing i think it's every time you do a crystal although that does seem a little bit unintuitive as well that each crystal would unlock a job system. I would have preferred to see, say, suddenly the Viking job becomes available when you're in the Viking town and you're talking to the Vikings, and then maybe the, you know, the dragoon one would appear when you get to the village of the dragoons. And same with like the geomancer and the evokers. Like most of the jobs seem to have an area somewhere in the game where those people congregate and they sell all of the items and stuff for it but you know anyway that's kind of no, beside no, the but point you, but you see the crystals hold the potential for the the things that the you know what i just yeah. <laughs> I, I genuinely didn't know if that was going to be a serious answer or a sarcastic no, answer no <laughs> no they did just yeah it, that to me would have made more sense that you mm. learned the jobs from people who'd mastered them already but yeah as i was saying i got oh, I got a long way into the game before I changed anything because I, I quite liked having the, the black and the white mage and the monk. I mean, the monk is incredibly powerful. Uh, he was by far the like the best damage dealer uh, that I, I could find out of anything. Uh, but all of their upgrades, like the upgraded red, white, black mage and the monks upgrade into a black belt you don't get them until you've done the earth crystal which has got to be a probably at least three quarters if not four fifths of the way into the game so because i was kind of waiting for that obvious upgrade you know i was seeing all these other jobs coming in but because i'm also kind of a semi kind of obsessively compulsive kind of nerdy type person i didn't like the idea of well this black mage is like job level 50 i could switch it out to job level zero other character but you don't really like seeing statistics go down i didn't like when i i did that the status thing like wiped his uh strength from like 60 down to 25 even though you know i knew it wouldn't be very long before the job levels increased again and you'd start outpacing but i think i caused myself quite a lot of trouble uh during the game by having that party system uh i was getting wiped out by bosses pretty much every single one from the first one that was bad was the the salamander dragon thing that i think is yeah. i think that's the fire crystal so it's not very far into the game but after that pretty much every boss wiped my party at least once and this is an unforgiving game in that respect and from what i can remember unlike final fantasies one and two you can only save when you're on the overworld in this game so you can spend like in some cases an hour bashing your way through a dungeon to get to a boss who i guess because of like the kind of dice roll mechanics of which attacks and stuff are they going to use and where your critical hits fall you can get wiped out by a boss and then have to redo quite a lot of the you know all of the setup for that dungeon stuff again and I was finding, you know, you start getting a lot of bosses as well. So this was happening quite a lot for a good portion of the game. And, I, th I, you know, I was fairly sure that part of the problem was that I had this red mage who was kind of just supporting the other two mages who had all of the same abilities, but better. The only only 
plus side was that he could take a hit and not get completely knocked down and had a half decent sword but when I realized that I was more using him as kind of like a fighter with a couple of sort of backup spells and I was starting to build this equipment pouch just absolutely full of items that were doing healing and removing status effects and there were there's basically every spell you can think of there's an item that you get invariably lots of throughout the game that do exactly the same thing you know all the way up until like the really powerful like damage dealing spells and stuff just have here's a what is it like chocobo's wrath or something does this like massive fire damage spell when i realized that that was pointless having this guy as a mage and decided to switch him but by then it was three quarters four fifths of the way through the game so i ended up grinding and i think due to my just inability to switch these jobs around earlier on and have to deal with the fact that numbers would go down i kind of shot myself in the foot a little bit with it that is tough though it um some this is a very early example of a job system and i think that there are some things in here that maybe aren't quite right well it's not that they're not quite right it's that they i feel that they improve in later entries not only of this series but in other games that use job systems as well primarily this series but you know um and one of the things that i always kind of got hung up on is when you do switch jobs there's a period of time where you are kind of weakened and it's not even just by the fact that the job that you're switching to might be lower level it's that you have a few battles where you are just you're you're I, I don't know if they even bother to explain it but I, I would assume that it's supposed to be like you're adjusting to this or whatever so you don't even really have full capability at that point so if you switch all four of your characters at the same time then you're just screwed for the next couple of battles um so you kind of have to be careful about when you switch and i got to the point where i would only switch one maybe two characters at a time because i had a i had a party set up that i liked that where i always wanted to have one kind of physical attack character one healer and then two characters that i could kind of mess around with and that meant different things as the game went on but Again, you just have to be really careful about when you switch things and what levels everybody is. And it's very... I prefer job systems where it is possible to switch between jobs. And this doesn't really lend itself too well to that, to my mind. It, you you can switch jobs for your characters, but once you've decided what you want to switch to, you kind of have to stick with that. Uh, you can't just go flipping back and forth without some pretty significant penalties. Um, so, I mean, that's it, it's, it's tough that way, but if you do find jobs that you like, you do, uh, a lot of them do have upgraded abilities um, as things go on. Um, and then there are some more that kind of serve that might not be direct analogs, but they serve kind of the same function. And then there are some that are just weird. Uh, but I think that the weird ones can be some of the better ones, like the geomancer job, um, which is a relatively yeah. early one, uh, is kind of neat because it depends on where you are and what your backdrop is as to what your attacks will be. And I think that that's a really interesting idea. There are, there's more than one job where you can summon creatures and and you're doing the same summon spells, but you might get different results from them depending on what kind of summoner you are. And, and that's interesting, too. It, it, I, I like the jobs that they have, but the mechanics of how you use them, I, I think, could have been refined a little bit more. Mm. 
I I generally just wish I'd had more time and yeah. you know the I guess willingness to play through the game again to test them out because I I love the idea of like the summoner or the evoker summoner I think they're the upgraded version one of the other but yeah you know, I did essentially like at least three or four kind of bonus dungeons towards the back end of the game which really all of the the reward from them was just yeah you get the summon of this powerful boss creature that you've taken down and going through this dungeon thinking oh this is going to be great i've been looking at this blob swimming around in this lake (laughs) that i couldn't get to since like the second hour of the game thinking at some point i'm going to be able to get back to that i bet that's a boss and then i eventually did it right at the very end and i mean it was it was cool that it was there it was a cool fight but then the reward was what you can summon the is it a leviathan or Mm -hmm. something like that and I, I just wish I'd had a summoner who could do that. And I tried like switching all of the spells out and I was thinking, oh, well, I know it's like a level eight spell, but, you know, I've got a black mage. Surely he can summon this thing. Nope. I, that's that's another like one talking of uh, just one of the cool jobs. I, I'm looking at the list here and I think I think it's the evoker who can basically summon anything, but you don't get to pick what they summon. And I think that's a really cool idea. Like maybe not the most yeah. useful thing in the world, but you know, the fact that you can just go, I don't know, call out something and then maybe it's a really lame summon that shows up and maybe it's something awesome. You just don't really know. Yeah. There was somebody else and I can't, I can't remember which class it was, but when I was looking into them, one of the other ones said that they could do a random spell and it would just pick any spell. They had mm. one spell point that they could cast per battle and it would just do this one spell like from the entire pool. And that sounded just super crazy of, well, you do this and it could be like a really high level black magic spell or it could be the one that like turns your party into toads. And that would have been, <laughs> <laughs> it's like that risk reward. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think that's what I ended up really liking about the job system is because like you know towards the beginning of the game i kind of i i did what john did i kind of stuck with my standard final fantasy one kind of uh uh uh, party setup Uh, i had a warrior a thief uh, a white mage and a black mage um and and like the thief i i kind of stuck with the thief the longest out of all of those just because his ability to just kind of unlock any uh, door without the need for a, a magic key was was just too useful um, throughout the majority of the game. Get access to a lot of high level equipment um, because of him. Um, but like Leah, you've already men- mentioned the Geomancer. Like I love the Geomancer. Yeah, I, I, I think that's such a such a cool idea for uh, for a character like the the idea that look if if you're finding like dealing with the amount of magic you can use in a battle or even just not you know forget a battle like a whole temple like or dungeon sorry um if you're finding that too stressful if you're finding the management of that too stressful why not switch to this guy who has an unlimited pool of magic he can do like he will be able to you know do these high level really powerful attacks 
all the way through the dungeon without any limit, you just don't get to choose what that spell is. It's just entirely dependent on his environment and a little bit to do with random chance. And that's just like, that's so cool. I really like that. And because of that, he ended up being, you know, for a long, long time, the Geomancer became like, like my main damage dealer. Like, just, it, I knew he could dependably do a great deal of damage um, and I would pay a price for it. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be taxed um, for magic use with that guy, which was really useful. Um, I also really like the Dragoon, mm-hmm. um, just because uh, if you equip him with two spears instead of just the one and a shield uh, and he jumps off screen um, you don't have to worry about him taking damage uh, first of all because he's jumped off but when he comes down he does so much damage to enemies and there are some boss fights where I was really like dependent on the fact that the dracoon was just not going to be on the field of battle for a little bit and and then you know dealing out that that severe damage when he comes back down in order to finish off some of these guys um like I wish the bard was better like I really like the idea of basically a white mage who um again kind of works similarly to the geomancer who doesn't have like a uh, an mp cost or a spell cost that is um that just plays some music but i never found that the the musical instruments were effective enough like the the healing spell for the bard is just nowhere near as powerful as um like the the sage or, or the white mage even um uh, but like by the time you get to the earth crystal i think the ninja is like easily the most powerful um in terms of damage dealing um just throwing shurikens you can you can end up like once you've leveled up the job class you can end up doing a huge huge amount of damage and so what ended up happening was when i was rolling into the kind of last bit of the game um i just had two sages and two ninjas because that worked really well um, and, and and I'll be honest that that I I did look that up. Like a lot of people were advising, like um, go into the final bit of the game with with two sages, two ninjas, and and you'll be be able to conquer anyone. Um, and that ultimately ended up being really overpowered. But um, towards I mean towards the very end, we'll talk about the difficulty of the game in the minute in a minute. But yeah, overall, like I I feel feel like the job system was pretty good. I I have to admit, unlike Leah, I I have less familiarity with job systems in JRPGs. Mm. So I'm I'm kind of looking forward to like Final Fantasy. I know Final Fantasy V has a job system as well. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing a version of this in a much more kind of refined form. I love Final Fantasy V, so we'll we'll get there. <laughs> I think it might have been Leah's fault that I was um, kind of excited for this job system. <laughs> oh, boy. So I, I have I have a very distinct memory listening to um, some other castle years ago, and for some reason <laughs> I have got this like mental image of you telling Elaine, "I really like job systems in these games. Like, I really I do. like the Final Fantasy with job systems." And I that, think I was reason, talking. I, I, yeah, I. That's that is my mistake. I do love job systems, um, but this one's kind of rough. I Final Fantasy V. I will maintain that's that's going to be. Uh, look forward to that. <laughs> so, 
The job system isn't the uh, only kind of unique thing that this game introduces in terms of gameplay systems. Um, we've already discussed the the Mognet, um, uh, so we won't go into that again. But um, one of the things I noticed um, um, uh, was the rarity of Phoenix Downs, not only just in the world, but um, you can't buy them. You can't buy them anywhere. I, I've looked everywhere. You can't buy Phoenix Downs. Um, there are these restoration pools, so you can go to these pools that um, uh, will revive your party members, but um, you better hope you have uh, some Phoenix Downs when you're going up against some of these boss battles because uh, once you're out, you're out until you find uh, some more. You, you, are, you are unable to purchase anymore, and I found that really frustrating um anyone else yeah, yeah. you can uh, you can get characters who can cast um yeah. i think it's arise in this game um uh, but it's raise and it's then arise okay. i think there's two um, right because one of them raises you up with like one health and then the other one will give yeah. you more health and yeah but i mean that's even that is pretty late relatively you don't get that from the beginning so if you have <laughs> if you have a rough time then um yeah, you could you could be in some trouble. As someone who had a red mage in my party for most of the game and a white mage for the entirety, yeah, there is a level five white spell which raises you up with I think it's either five or ten percent of your health. Yeah. Which if you get that in the middle of a boss fight, and <laughs> some of these bosses do like two three attacks per round, you are absolutely guaranteed that that boss is going to kill that character yep. again before you can get a healing spell onto him. Like pretty much guaranteed. So that was that was tricky because level five healing spells are they're a good portion of the way into the game they've got to be at least a third if not half of the way into the game and once I got yeah, at that point I had a red mage who could do I think the red mage's spells go up to five he can have black or white of up to five and then the white mage obviously goes all the way up to eight uh, but I had a decent portion where I had both of those characters had the raised spell so it didn't give me as much trouble as it could but the the really other one if you do it out of battle at that point yeah and you're not getting a huge amount of those neither of the original versions of those mages before they get their upgrades after the earth crystal neither of them get that many points in level five spells i think the red mage gets like one or maybe two um level five spells even when they're like really really high job level and then the other one that you get is a level eight spell the one that uh, i think that one's arise or yeah it's raise and arise i think but the level eight spells you don't get them until you're in the final dungeon so that that is only really useful for the basically boss yeah. gauntlet at the end of the game and even that with a level 99 white i guess it was a uh, devout at that point because it had had the upgrade uh, so level 99 job level I think my character level was like 63 or something like that you get 4 I think between uh, you get 4 level 8 spells or maybe 5 so it's never like yeah it never really is that um, that much of a crutch it, it, it saved my ass I think because as you say early on in the game you get very very few phoenix downs like i went through the entirety of the game i'm pretty certain that i 
went through all of the dungeons and found most of the chests and stuff and i think even stockpiling these things because i guess once i had the level five spells i didn't really use them or i made a specific point of like every time i did something i'd get back into the ship and go back to one of the um villages that has the the healing pools and the resurrection pools so i i would have used very few phoenix downs maybe probably less than five throughout the entire game. And even at the very back end of it, having found as much loot as I could, I probably only had a stockpile of about 15 or 20 of them. So yeah, there's not a lot. And let's say the the spells are good, but really locked down behind very specific characters and also fairly decent portions into the game. So yeah, it's, it's that definitely makes it tough. And the, um, the elixirs are basically the same. The item that does max um max healing and restores all your magic you get i i probably used like five of them throughout the game and again only had a stockpile of about 15 or 20 so they're few and far between have we talked uh, in either of our previous final fantasy shows about how i did not realize until embarrassingly late in my life that when they were talking about phoenix down they were talking about the down of a bird that is a phoenix and not the fact that the phoenix itself was down yeah <sighs> no i i uh, have to admit that that was a similar situation mm-hmm. for me and i can <laughs> recall the moment where i realized it because it was a quite uh infamous moment in uh, the giant bomb podcast now where uh, jeff gerstman just has that revelation yep. <laughs> when brad brad shoemaker starts talking about a tough to phoenix phoenix town and uh, uh and jeff's mind quickly yep. uh, gets blown on the podcast it was very very fun i, yes. I, I think I it's on youtube it's moment, worth yes. listening to <laughs> Yeah, not sure that I've made that connection before. But when you were talking about it, the first thing that I was thinking of was um, same giant bomb podcast. Uh, Dan Reichert having this weird revelation about um, Ash Ketchum's name. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you're a 35 year old man. How have you not realised that? <laughs> but yeah, I guess not. So some some other things that are worth covering. Um, there's a fat chocobo. Uh, that you can store all your items in. So Final Fantasy 2 introduced us to the Chocobo. Um, Final Fantasy 3 introduces us to the fat Chocobo, who is very fat indeed. Final Fantasy 3 body shames that Chocobo. (laughs) Yes. To be honest with you, I didn't get a lot of use out of the fat Chocobo. Um, I didn't really use him either. I just if I didn't need an item, I just just sold it, to be honest. So... uh, He's cool. I like him. He, he's just sitting there, but uh, not a lot of use. Silly little music jingle, and he shows up yeah. in all sorts of weird places. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I basically just dumped all of the job-specific gear in him that I couldn't find. You know, I wasn't sure. Like, well, I might if I want to become what's the the class that uses the books? Oh, it's a scholar. Yeah, I had a whole load a of scholar, like um, yeah. magic books, and I was like, well, I'm not going to use these. But if I did turn into a scholar in the future, I bet I'm not going to be able to get some of these things back. So he just ended up being like a, a waste bin for all of the the cool gear that I may have thought that I might use at some point in the future. Um, so it's kind of cool. So is is right the fat chocobo? Am I am am I getting this right? So you're basically shoving these items in its stomach 
and then it's like regurgitating them. Is that correct? I have not thought Don't about this. Don't think too hard about where you are putting things into the fat chocobo. <laughs> okay. I mean, especially I, because uh, he looks like he's a baby chocobo as well. Yeah. No, I never realized um, I've had this. This is a family podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've had this DS cartridge in my DS for probably a couple of years at this point just anticipating playing it and the little um the little logo on the home screen on the 3ds uh i never realized what it was but it's the fat chocobo's face it's a fat chocobo yep <laughs> i assume this continues to show up in future games to be honest with you i have played future games i i've never run into the fat chocobo I again the fat chocobo comes back yeah, yeah. I, I don't think so unless i'm forgetting about something um, I'm, yeah. I'm sure it will huh. come up, but this may be the one and only appearance of the Fat Chocobo. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, um, so let's move on to uh, dungeons and their overall design. Um, but kind of specifically, what I feel is an increased difficulty of uh, Final Fantasy III uh, over the previous titles. Specific, uh, I've said specifically twice in a row, but I've committed now, so I'm going for it. Um, specifically, the the boss battles. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, John, before you were mentioning uh, the first instant, instance of this being the Salamander boss. And that, that that was pretty much my experience also, where um, the game was pretty, you know, it was challenging, but it wasn't, you know, anything that I hadn't experienced before um, up until that boss fight. And then it felt like every boss fight after that was just a trial. Like, none of them were... Uh, a pushover from that point onwards like they all required like heavy m amounts of grinding um one i felt like I, I had no choice in terms of what like um uh jobs i had to bring into that fight um uh, i think it was um gilgamesh the the guy who's controlling the the king um you know the when the king uh, almost stabs his son and then stabs himself and then Gilgamesh appears that boss fight um I felt like I needed to have a dragoon because otherwise um uh otherwise I wasn't there was no chance I was going to win that fight um did did you uh, did you two feel similarly I think one of the things that's really tough about this, and this is not the only Final Fantasy game to do this, but they don't all, I it's, uh, I don't recall whether 1 and 2 did this or not, but um, pretty much all of the bosses get multiple attacks per round. And if you think about it, then, I, I mean, that, you know, you you can say, well, well, you're getting four attacks per round, so obviously it's fair that, you know, the boss could, could get it too, but it, it, it doesn't really work that way um, because they are, in general, so much more powerful than you, and uh, especially once you get to some of the later bosses, they can do things that will hit your entire party, so sometimes if you get really unlucky and get two unlucky attacks in a row, then you just, it's very difficult to recover from those, um, and... and when you get to I don't know if it's just the last boss but uh, I, I know that it definitely is the last boss gets four attacks per round and that's just really tough um, so if you're not prepared going into some of these and you don't have an effective strategy to recover if you do get hit with some unlucky attacks then as as Josh says it can really be a trial to to kind of get through them uh, in any kind of decent shape yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's also not helped by the fact that 
there are a lot of bosses in that sort of yeah. second portion of the game. And as I said before, lots of them are uh, at the back of multi-level dungeons and you can't save before the boss. So if you run into trouble, you're doing a significant portion of things again. And that trouble can literally just be the boss does two of his AOE attacks in the first round or the boss gets the round off. You know, it's, it seems sort of, I, I'm sure it's just a, a dice roll thing, but, you know, even if you're casting like a healing spell with your you know, healer every single round, which I, I ended up doing by basically the end of the game was pretty much just doing a full heal on everybody every round because I had enough enough points for it. But you could still get, if the boss managed to get his attacks off before your healer's turn went, you could still get wiped out quite easily. And as soon as you lose like one serious character, you just know at that point that it's done. Especially yeah. if you lose your healer or you lose your, your sort of major damage dealer you immediately one person goes down you can only spend so much time picking them back up and trying to heal them before they'll get knocked again and while you're mucking about doing that the boss is continuing to hit the other guys and yeah it, it just it all goes south very very quickly sometimes and i had that multiple bosses through the mid portion of the game and lots of very frustrating right back to the beginning of that dungeon last time you saved i mean i got you get a quick save on the ds version which is basically i guess a kind of a get out of jail free like if you're literally having to go or something like that your ds is about to run out of battery you can make this quick save which then you have to load up when you turn the game back on like you make this quick save it quits the game goes back to the like the system main menu in this in the case of the 3ds it goes to the like turn the 3ds off menu and then you've got to reload the game and hit to continue it specifically says that if you hit new game or load you're going to lose this um quick save and then the quick save yeah, it's like, really kind of a misnomer it's more of a suspend state than it is a, uh, a quick yeah save. basically I, I mean i was kind of intrigued as to whether there's some way that you could like cheese around it like could you copy the saves or something from your memory card but the fact that i even started wondering if that would be a an option <laughs> i think um probably you know says something about how difficult i was finding certain portions of the game i i think the 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 encounters outside of the boss fights um were challenging at points but um i mentioned before getting the ninja and the uh, sage party going um once those guys were leveled their job level was leveled up enough um, I think most of the regular enemies were fine. Like, I didn't really struggle with them at all. Uh, but the boss fights just kept being just massive pains in the butt right to the very end. And we've, we mentioned the final boss. Like, the, that four attack thing just felt, like, sadistic. Like, and I just didn't have fun with these boss fights. Like, ultimately, is my point here, is that, like, there were times when I was having fun with the regular enemies, but it never felt like I was like this was fair with the enemies. Like the fact, like I, I had to grind in order to get past some of these guys. I had to, I, and even with all that grinding, a lot of it still felt like luck. Like just getting past. Like I would defeat bosses with one party member left, and the last attack just happened to knock off the last bit of their health. Um, like that's how desperate um, a lot of these fights are, and it just doesn't feel fun to feel like, 
Look, I am playing tactically. Like, I'm picking jobs that, you know, feel like they would counter this boss, and I'm, and I'm, I'm making sure I'm healing regularly, but what, what good is healing regularly when one attack can wipe out a character in one go? Like, there's no... Like, no... I would... If, if the character was already low on health, fine. You know, wipe him out. That's okay. But to be at full health and one attack takes them off the board, that just doesn't feel okay. It, and it never felt okay. Mm, I think I, I sort of got through the same way as you did. I got to the point where I, I was aware that I was struggling and I switched my job classes to the... Yeah, I, I pushed through until I got to the Earth Crystal upgraded all my job classes which all went from like i think i was at like 60 70 something with all of them everybody went back to a level one and at that point i spent probably six or seven hours i went back to the very beginning of the game i've um worked out or you know looked up how the uh, job leveling works it's basically you get that cp that you talked about earlier it's kind of still there but you don't spend it it's more just like a hidden stat and then your job levels up so there's there's a way to level jobs as effectively as possible by basically taking rounds and you just you just block over and over and over and over until you know that your cp is at maximum you're going to level up and then you you beat the enemy so i went back and just fought one goblin for probably six or seven hours and got all of my all of my upgraded <laughs> jobs from a level one up to a level 99 then went and waded back in i think my party was all about level 40 at that point i got to the end where i was in the incredibly long and save free run up from the the last point where you get to save outside the um the tower you've then got a long dungeon with enemy regular enemies that are you know the boss clones of bosses from earlier on in the game then you've got about oh probably at least 10 boss fights between that point and then the end of the game that you've got to just get through in, in basically one long slog and i think i was at about level 55 level 53 maybe by that point and i spent another couple of hours grinding all of my levels up to early 60s and then went and did it because i was terrified that i was going to spend like four hours doing that final dungeon only to get wiped out by the last boss and i thought i'm not having that but yeah that was it I mean my my total game time ended up being close to 40 hours and i would have said probably at least 10 hours of that was just grinding between job levels and grinding experience so a quarter of the game for grinding is not really ideal i i don't think it speaks to a particularly yeah. well balanced game in that respect okay so um let's talk about uh the world map and uh, getting around um i uh one of the things i i kind of liked about the game and i found a little bit charming um was the kind of evolution of your uh, vehicle your airship um as the game goes on um so the first airship you get you you destroy it by kind of ramming into a boulder which i thought was quite extreme you then get a uh, a ship a traditional ship sailing on the sea so you can go from landmass to landmass crossing the ocean 
Um, later on, you get a ship that uh, um, uh, is the upgraded version of that. So your uh, regular ship can transform into an airship, but this airship is a low-altitude airship. It can only uh, go across land and water. It can't go over mountains, and it can only land in water. And then later on, after the kind of Civil War section of the game, you get one that can uh, land on land, land on the sea, um, but also can uh, dive under the water as a submarine. Um, and then finally, you're, you get the airship Invincible, uh, which kind of acts as like a mobile base. It has shops uh, where you can buy items. The Fat Chocobo will turn up there. Um, and you can rest and, and all sorts of stuff there. So it becomes your home away from home. Um, and I, I really like these airships, um, and I really like the way traversal is handled in this game generally. Uh, again, not so, you know, not a big fan of the destinations you go to with these airships um, in terms of the boss fights you encounter, but just moving around the world in, in these devices I, I found quite pleasant. The progression is fun. Um, it's something that uh, subsequent games do pick up, at least to some extent, but uh, I, I do like how they handled it here. Mm. Yeah, I, I was quite surprised uh, when literally probably an hour or mo not much more into the game, you get an airship. Because my previous two games I played, the airship was quite a late game affair in those from what I can remember. And then you smash it immediately mm -hmm. and you sort of go up this... Um, <laughs> Yeah, this progression system of different ships. I, yeah, I was quite, I was quite impressed with it, and it, it opens up the um, the world map quite a lot as well. I was, I was expecting that there'd be an airship that would cross mountains because there's very obviously places that you can see that there's definitely a dungeon there, but it's surrounded by mountains, so I don't know how to get to that. So that, I mean, that seemed reasonable, but I was quite surprised when I got the ship that went underwater, and then you suddenly realise that there's going to be hidden dungeons on the bottom of the water and then you start realizing well there was when i was flying about earlier i saw that little island that didn't seem to do anything at all like it seemed a bit out of place so i wonder if you go to that in the the nautilus ship and there's a dungeon at the bottom of it and there was and there was about four of those which i got stuck into for a, a portion of the game i thought that was that was kind of cool that wasn't something i was expecting unlike yeah i was definitely fully expecting there to be a ship and then an airship, and then an airship that went over the mountains. But yeah, throwing the um, throwing the submarine in the middle of that sort of gave me a gave me a bit of a chuckle. Also meant I had a long time going back around all the previous areas in the game, checking to see if there were little hidden dungeons anywhere. I think it's time for us to move into uh, forum feedback. But I just wanted to highlight, as Leon has done. Um, when uh, series mainstays kind of crop up for the first time. Um, so series firsts for Final Fantasy III include the summons. Um, this is the first instance of summons in a Final Fantasy game. So uh, Odin and uh, uh, Bahamut and, and stuff like that. These, uh, these ultimately become, uh, uh, you know, uh, a feature that kind of show up in every single Final Fantasy game, except with a couple of exceptions, I would say. But um, yeah, this is the first instance of uh, those guys kind of helping your party out. Um, but also the uh, Moogles, um, who uh, 
I don't think are nearly as cute as Chocobos. I think Chocobos are the uh, MVP of the Final Fantasy cute characters. Um, but um, yeah, I uh, it's nice to see these guys crop up. I never had a Moogle that I that I named and personally uh, adopted. So. Um... Mr. That, Feathers is my beautiful son. <laughs> yeah, they're always going to come second place to your beautiful steed. Um, <laughs> I don't care for Moogles because their system didn't work, so they're useless as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> it's valid. Right, um, let's move into some uh, forum uh, feedback. Okay, Mr. Ixalite says, Final Fantasy III is the last mainline game in the series I've played, but the first in terms of chronological release. That is to say, like many others, I first played it for the DS, at a time where I had knowledge of decades' worth of subsequent releases in the series. This, unsurprisingly, was not the ideal way to experience the game, as I found that virtually every aspect of it had been performed better later on. To wit, the story of Final Fantasy III is bare bones. The characters might as well have remained the blank slates they originated as, and the job system is massively inferior to its subsequent iterations. Yet unlike Final Fantasy I and II, I actually completed this one. I may still rank it quite low compared to the rest of the series, but Final Fantasy III had just enough narrative and gameplay depth to get me invested. The job system, though simple, is nice to mess around with, hunting for summons is always fun, and the episodic story throws out some neat scenarios every once in a while. In no other game in the series did I have to shrink my party in order to fight a rat. In terms of graphics, the game is a mixed bag for me. The technical achievement is certainly outstanding, and many of the enemies are quite memorable, but the character design in particular was highly unappealing to me. Compared to their sprite-based cousins, the perpetually blank-faced characters seemed unexpressive, with their official artwork making them seem apathetic and doll-like. Their chibi-fied body proportions did not help. The game is also a bit too old-school in terms of difficulty, with the last part of the game in particular being unreasonably unforgiving. On the other hand, the sheer excitement I felt at beating the final boss with my last standing characters, last thrown shuriken, must mean it did something right. It certainly trumps Final Fantasy XII, where I beat the final boss while taking a shower, but that is a story for another time. So, Ash Tear says, I started browsing the web in earnest back in 1999. While I'd heard about the missing Final Fantasy games, I was surprised to find that they had fan translations. This is when I first learned about emulators and ROM patches, but all of that was easier to get through than Final Fantasy III itself. The difficulty in the Famicom version of this game was shocking even to this longtime fan, culminating in a marathon run to the final boss. The game could not be saved during the last dungeon crawl, spanning multiple hours. Woe to the player that came unprepared to fight the Cloud of Darkness, or had a power outage, losing all that progress. 
Difficulty aside, so much of what makes the series iconic started here. Moogles, summons, a bunch of distinct job classes, themes of duality. Final Fantasy Tactics began my love of job systems, so it was exciting to trace all these elements back. But it's a bit sad that most Western gamers had to wait so long to see this game. Many more still wouldn't play it, even in English, until the DS remake in late 2006. I think Final Fantasy III also marks the point where Nobuo Uematsu's legend began to take shape. Though still greatly restricted by the cartridge space, there's a number of solid dungeon and overworld themes, especially the boundless ocean. My personal favourites are the Crystal Tower and the Dark Crystals, so evocative of a long epic journey coming to an end. Even the remake is still challenging, so this early entry might be best left to the historians and series fanatics. For me, though, this is where Final Fantasy truly began. MH Ninja Bear says, The story was fun and much easier to follow than one and the combat kept me engaged through just short of 40 hours of gameplay. The only major issue I ran into was in beating the final boss. I found my level to be about 10 levels too short, and it was tedious to grind when all I wanted was to save the world. And that being said, when the last enemy fell to the four heroes, I felt very rewarded. My only other issue is that the DS version utilised a Wi-Fi mail system to unlock a special job class and items. That system is now gone and an action replay was required to hack the letters. This issue is gone in the iOS and PC version, but I was sad to find out I would have to tamper with my save. Not to drone on too much longer, I really enjoyed Final Fantasy 3. I look forward to moving on to 4 soon and appreciate how this game has helped shape modern JRPGs. My hope is that more gamers have the patience to look back to this older title and see the value it has as a piece of JRPG gold. Halam Akbar says... I first played Final Fantasy back as a preteen in the late 90s on the NES. My brother and I poured hours and hours into the game and were able to beat it without the help of the internet and without knowing that there is a guide to the first half of the game in the manual even though we had the manual. We fell in love with the game but without a SNES or a PlayStation. I proclaim to be a fan of Final the Final Fantasy franchise having only played the first one. Fast forward 10 years, in the summer of 2007, I learned that Final Fantasy III was released on the Nintendo DS. I thought portable gaming was somewhat childish. I now realise that that is unjustified. But that at 20 years old, I bought a DS, Final Fantasy III, New Super Mario Bros. and Mario Kart DS on Amazon. I was in Iraq and had to get it shipped to my parents' house and then asked them to forward it to me. It felt like forever, but my package finally arrived, probably after five or six weeks. I hadn't played many RPGs back then, and I remember the job system was intimidating at first. I used to try and 100% games I played and thought that I could max all my characters' job levels for every job. 
I soon realised that idea was ridiculous. Unfortunately, I don't remember much of my first playthrough, but I thought the Chocobo and Phoenix Downs were odd additions to the series and wondered if they were added to the remake to make the game easier. I remember getting off the main continent and finding an entire other world and being amazed that all that could fit on the NES cartridge. I played the game pretty much any time I wasn't patrolling, pulling guard or sleeping and I loved the game so much that the next time we went back to a base with internet I bought Final Fantasy 4, 5 and 6 on the GBA. Playing the DS with my friends and Final Fantasy 3 by myself was some of the best memories I have of an otherwise terrible deployment. Colin Alonso says... Final Fantasy 3 is a game that I actually quite like and ends the NES era of the series on a high. It isn't necessarily a game I'd recommend to everyone who likes RPGs as even the remake shows its old roots, but it's worth a try if, like myself, you enjoyed subsequent Final Fantasy games that use flexible job systems and wanted to see where that started. Or if you are simply in want of a solid if unspectacular, old-school JRPG to play. Okay, thank you very much for those uh, forum posts. Uh, We now move on to our free word reviews, starting with John. Simon Nelson says, late to party. David C says, terrible final dungeon. MH Ninja Bear says, the ship broke. Mr. Ixalite says, sages and ninjas. Colin Alonzo says, orphans get jobs. And Michael Edwards says, retroactive classic installment. Okay, all that's left is to give our summaries, um, and I'll start us off. Um, I I hate a lot of Final Fantasy III, and <laughs> I, I like some of it. Um, I, I do think the job system is worthy of praise. Um, I I you know I think some of those classes are just really cool and creative. Like the geo, we mentioned the geomancer. I just think that's a really uh, cool idea for a magic caster, um, and you know just using the terrain as a weapon rather than relying on this uh, pool of spells is. Um, it's it, just really creative, and and the, the that's the main example I draw on. But a lot of the jobs kind of fall into that. There there are a lot of kind of ways you can play this game that kind of feel radically different than the traditional kind of black mage white mage attack uh, thief kind of build that m- most people might be used to. Um, but the game around that job system is often incredibly frustrating more so than either final fantasy one or two um the boss fights at points felt sadistic um they just weren't fun at all to fight and the process of getting prepared to uh, to fight those ge- uh, fight those bosses felt far too long even compared to final fantasy 2 which admittedly had a, you know sections of the game where you had to grind but um, because of the way that 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 game system articulated, it didn't feel nearly as tedious as it does in this game. Um, so, I think I'm ultimately glad I've played this game. Just 
to see where the you know the job system that will come up in later entries started but i really really can't recommend um people go back to this in the way that i may have done with the previous two it's just the there are sections of this game that are just not at all enjoyable so i i i think this is one for the history books unfortunately rather than one that i i could realistically recommend to anyone to play today um leah yeah i i agree with most of what uh what josh was saying uh so i'm a pretty big fan of the final fantasy series uh and what i will say is that I think that most of what makes this game special, most of the things that I like, are either replicated or outdone in other titles. So I'm not going to say that this is completely not worth playing. Uh, what I will say is that I would kind of put it at the back of your list if you like Final Fantasy games and want to play more of them. If you are like me, and this is kind of a hole in, in the history of the series that you had not uh, experienced previously, then it might be worth checking out if uh, if you can you know, put your hands on a copy of it. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily seek it out. Uh, it, it's not a terrible game by any stretch, but I, I do think it would have been interesting to kind of have a more... I want to say a more authentic experience with it. Uh, and what I mean by that is something that's closer to how it was when it was initially released. Um, the remake is really all Western audiences have to go on. And I can't say for sure that it would have been any better or any worse uh, to see something that was closer to the, the Famicom original, but the earlier games in the series, both of them, have multiple versions that you can seek out and and kind of get slightly different experiences. I think it would be interesting to have that for this because really all there is for a Western audience to to play is kind of the same version on different platforms. And I, I would really like to see kind of how the changes would have affected it. So I, I don't think that that's something I'm interested enough to seek out a fan translation or to go through any of that trouble necessarily. But um, I, I guess what I'm getting at is if, if you think that this sounds interesting, then sure, go ahead and give it a try. Um, I, I don't recommend it. I think that if you want job systems, tune in in about four months when we do the Final Fantasy V uh, issue and, uh, and and check that one out. But um, I don't regret having played it. I just, I'm, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Wow. Um, it's going to fall to me again to be a bit more positive than everybody else. Yeah. Hooray. Um, yeah, I, I definitely didn't hate this game um i don't know that i'd really even say that i disliked it or didn't enjoy my time with it i mean i had i had a certain number of problems and we've spent the vast majority of the last two hours probably talking about the things that we didn't like about this game i feel like the job system was clearly the star of the show here and in my maybe you know maybe I'm not sort of looking at it in the in the best um it, it maybe maybe I'm sort of slightly clouded in my my judgment a little bit but I I feel that I would have I could get a lot more enjoyment out of the game than I necessarily have had already 
by going back and playing around with the job systems more and maybe leveling all of them up a little bit and messing about with each of them and seeing what synchronizes with with what and what doesn't i mean josh talked about his uh, very specific party setup and you know going and looking online and being told oh this party's great but honestly i i looked at various bits and pieces and nobody seemed to have any agreement on what works best and what doesn't work everybody has their own suggestions everybody swears by this party will get you through the final boss and even the classes that are supposedly useless synchronize quite well with something else so if you have a bard and you know say a dragoon together or that's just an example you know they work really really well and i think that that amount of nuance with the fact that there's i think 20 something jobs in this game like clearly clearly they all have their place and maybe that's where some of the shortcomings that we're talking about have been with you know excessively long dungeons and difficult bosses and stuff you know it's it's hard to justify those things but you know maybe a lack of phoenix downs and elixirs is um you know negated by you switching your your jobs maybe even sort of two or three times per dungeon to you know rank everything up together and and get the the best of all worlds in that respect so you know maybe maybe it could be played better to get a better um get a better experience of it you know but even that said those things aren't going to make up for you know, none of us thought that the character designs were were particularly good or that the story was particularly good. And I don't suppose there's any making up for that. But that being said, all of its faults, I feel like I'm still in the position of I've not played a huge amount of RPGs or JRPGs. And this is the third Final Fantasy game that I've played after one and two ever. So I'm still kind of enjoying that system. And, you know, as honestly... As someone who has owned a DS, 3DS for well, 11 years now, don't get a huge amount of use out of it. It was quite nice to actually, you know, bust it out here and, and get to play it, especially after the last last one sort of drove me nuts a little bit playing on my phone. So, you know, I've, I've, I think I've taken more from the experience of this than maybe other people would, but I'm still enjoying doing this, despite how negative the last couple of hours of talking about it might have come off. <laughs> I'm still glad that I played this. Whether or not it's a recommendation is another matter, but I am glad that I've played it and I've ticked it off my my pile of things that I've wanted to play. So I'm I'm happy. I should say that I know that I keep saying I'm a Final Fantasy fan and I've been so negative for the past three episodes. I promise it gets better from here for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was just going to say uh, I'm, I'm awfully grateful that we are now moving into the uh, Super Nintendo PlayStation era of Final Fantasy games because uh, I know I will be having uh, considerably more fun from this point onwards. Um, Okay, uh, all that remains for me to say is thank you to John and Leah and all of our correspondents. Um, thank you for contributing. Um, and again, I just want to mention the Patreon one more time. Um, 
please please if you can um, uh, donate uh, every little bit helps uh, one thing that might encourage you to donate is that uh, uh, if you uh, if you donate you can get access to um, the shows early so uh, if you're a subscriber to the patreon um, you are listening listening to this podcast a week early uh, a week early than everyone else so well done you so worth considering all of you who are listening it to, uh, listening to it uh, a week later i would also like to thank the patreons uh, hugely for essentially buying me the um the microphone that i've been using for this and also um the copy of final fantasy 4 that i'm going to start playing asap so thank you very much to the patreons for your kind donations it's very much appreciated um, so next time in issue 316, we will be transcending history and the world as we cover a tale of souls and swords eternally retold in Soul Blade. Soul Blade.